0: Open your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 2, Psalm 2. Also, as my wife mentioned, if you want to have your Bible open to Acts uh, as well, we'll be in Acts 4 and 13 later, so if you like, if you have multiple ribbons on your Bible, you can save those spaces. We're going to sing Psalm 2, as you've been doing. So if this is your first time here, first time in a long time, uh, throughout the rest of the summer, we'll be studying a psalm, and we're going to attempt to sing the psalms, because the psalms are, after all, a hymn book. So we're gonna sing Psalm two to a tune very familiar to me. So it doesn't help many of you. So I was talking to Brad and Daryl up here, and I thought this was a tune that everybody knew because it was a tune that we sang all the time, in the church I grew up in. Anybody here grow up at my church? <laughs> no? I know my dad was there, so he should know it. Um, so how many here know the tune or know the song O Sacred Head Now Wounded? All right, good. We're counting on you. So <laughs> we're going to sing the first, we'll sing the first verse here. And if you don't know it, try to learn the melody. We'll come back and sing it again. So you see the lines appear. why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain. Um, so we're going to sing this entire screen all the way through to the tune, O Sacred Head Now Wounded," written in the 1600s. So if you like, if you're like, man, I wish we sang more hymns. Apparently you need to know more hymns. So... Um, it's written from the 1600 translated like in 1700 from german into english it's a beautiful but sorrowful tune and that goes perfectly with this psalm which it's not bright and cheery all the time there's some hard things that we're going to be speaking about today so so if you know "O sacred head and i'm wounded now is your cue to sing out as loud as you can
1: why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain the kings of earth together with rulers stand arrayed Again Against his anointed one, let's break their chains and fetters. With their rule, we are done. Are you guys got it? Now I'll try
0: to play it with this. Sorry, Joel. You guys got it? You've memorized it. Good. Now you go home and listen to the real tune. It's actually a really pretty song. Why do the nations rage?
1: Why do the nations rage and the people slot in vain? The kings of... The sun will speak. Verse 8. Job.
0: You guys just sang, Oh Sacred Head Now Wounded. If you get a chance to go home, uh, listen to that song. It's beautiful. It's great to sing. Maybe we could sing it for a communion one day now that you obviously know it so well. Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2. So if you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been sure, sure, completely sure of victory? I know I'm winning this one. Perhaps a board game, a quiz. A sporting event you didn't just believe you could win you knew success was guaranteed as a youth pastor in Guam we, we'd have an after-school program for those that wanted to stay after school and they, they could pay two dollars and fifty cents which now is like a pack of gum and you could buy get a half a large pizza and a soda and kids would stay after school on a Wednesday up until youth group started We'd have 30, 50 kids every week. They'd come in, come out, jump on in. And I would make an offer to them every Wednesday night. We'd go down to the court, set up the volleyball net. It's like, if you, everybody, is welcome to join. If you're inside the court lines and you beat me, all of you playing volleyball on that side and I'm on this side, if you beat me, free pizza and soda for everybody tonight. Every week, they would pack in there. 30, 40 teens, and I was sure I would win. This is not, maybe it was, you know, pride and arrogance of a young 20-year-old, but I also knew a couple things about teenage boys, having been one just a couple years prior. There's always one or two teenage boys, no matter what the game is, that want to touch the ball every time. If you understand this truth, you can win a lot of games against teenage boys. If you hit the ball between them, as they plow over 15 others to get there, and they watch the ball land on the ground. I mean, it's, for five years, they could not figure out this strategy. Like, how does he pull this off? It's just amazing. So if I can just accurately get it between those two (laughs) knuckleheads, I'm gonna win. And then week after week, I was guaranteed victory, not because of my great skill, but because of, their unwillingness to play as a team. Plus, 30 people on a court, volleyball court, it's packed. It's like you don't even have room to lift your arms up. It's like you're, it's like you're just playing dodgeball. I'm just hitting it over there. It's something you hit in the head. So I knew I would not lose. Have you ever had that confidence? Like, man, I know I'm going to win this one. Perhaps you as a parent were playing your child in Connect Four, and they're like three years old, and you're like, man, I'm feeling pretty good today about this one. Today in our text, we'll see some people thinking that they can shake off the rule of God. They can subvert his plan, and they could win on their own. We can overrule the ruler. We can conquer the creator. And as you might say to your little two-year-old trying to play Connect Four, like "We Lamb, because you know what's coming. God looks down from heaven and he sees him, we lambs. You, you, you can't beat me. You can't thwart my plan. You can't stop what I'm about to do. And so we'll see this in Psalm 2. Also, you need to understand a couple things about the psalm. This psalm was supposed to be read in tandem with Psalm 1. So last year we went through Psalm 1. Today we're doing Psalm 2. Both of these, Psalm 1 and 2, start the entire psalms. There are five books, if you recall, from last year, five books in the Psalms. You'll see at the top of your page, if you have your Bible, book one, you know, right above Psalm one. There are five books, but Psalm one and two are meant to help you understand what's about to come for the next 148 songs. To give you instruction of things and themes that you ought to be looking for. So you're going to have a lot of these similar phrases and wording from Psalm one and Psalm two. Also, you need to know, this psalm is quoted seven times in the New Testament. Seven. There's 12 verses. And it's quoted seven times. This is of immense importance. Not only is it of immense importance looking forward, it's of immense importance looking backward. Three of the largest or most significant texts speaking of the Messiah in the Old Testament that happened before this day are referenced here in this psalm. Looking back and looking forward, this psalm connects a lot. And so you need to pay attention as we read through this psalm. I I cannot, I promise you, I cannot overstate the importance of the text that we are about to look at. You're like, well, why didn't we do Psalm 2 last year? Because when I started reading it, I was like, oh boy, there's a lot of work here. And there is. And you may be, listen, we may get to some things going, man, I never realized that. I never recognized that. And I will 100% admit to you, welcome to the club. That's why we study the word. Right, we study and realize like, wow. Like, you just keep unearthing gems. It's just because it's almost like it's alive and rich and powerful and it's unending and it's truth. And it is. So let's read this text and then let's study it. Psalm two one, why? Why do the nations rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today have I begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod or iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, Be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. First, let's look at the rebellion against God and His plan. Rebellion against God and His plan. Why do the nations rage and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, "Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords. We're we're going to take Him away. We we don't have to worry about what He's doing. We can free ourselves from His rule and reign and do our own thing." The peoples of the earth and nations, the kings are in rebellion against God. Psalm one two. In the first Psalm, we are told in Psalm 1-2 to meditate on that law. The word meditate is the same word here in Psalm 2 that the nations that they plot. So whereas a blessed man is meditating on God's word and his law and saying, Let this soak over me. Those rebelling against the Lord are meditating against the Lord. They're trying to conceive in their head, how can we plot against him? In verse 2, we see something similar. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord. Against his anointed, in Psalm 1:1, the blessed man walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And here, that's what the counsel, is what the wicked are doing. They're counseling together. They're joining together to find how can we get rid of his rule. And this wasn't just true in the time of David. This is true before, and it was true after the time of Christ. And so I told you we're going to be in Acts. Turn to Acts 4. We'll come back to Psalm 2 we we'll later on we'll be in Acts 13 but turn to Acts 4 and you'll see what I mean in Acts 4 Peter and John were brought before the rulers the elders and the scribes of Israel for questioning because of their preaching that Jesus was raised from the dead and because they had healed a lame man a crippled person in a classic move Peter and John are brought forth so what do you know about Peter and John who do you think would speak first Peter Yep, that's our guy. So classic Peter. He jumps up. Let me open my mouth. Acts four eleven through twelve, and, Je- and Peter proclaims Jesus is the cornerstone, and there is no salvation. He says, and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As many of you know, Peter and John were threatened, and they were said, "Hey, stop this nonsense! Stop speaking about Jesus!" And they were released. And what does the early church do? What do they Peter and Paul do with their friends and the other apostles? Look at Acts. 424, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. So let me pause there. What did they ascribe to God first? What characteristic? His sovereignty. Sovereign Lord. He's in control of it all. He's in control. He's also our controller. He made heaven and earth to see and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Here's Psalm 2, 1 and 2. Why did the Gentiles rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were together, were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God had a plan, verse 28. He had predestined, this is what's going to happen. I'm sovereign. This is a plan. There's no plan B. It's plan A is the plan. Nobody can take away plan A. Plan A is the plan. Jesus will die for the sins of the world. Nobody will stop that from happening. Jesus will rise from the dead. Nobody will stop that from happening. He'll ascend to the Father. who will be the intercessor. He will come back to return from His own. Nobody will stop that from happening. Not Herod. Not Pontius Pilate. Not the Gentiles and their rulers. Not the people of Israel. It's not going to happen. Notice He said right under the inspiration of the Spirit that David wrote Psalm 2. He says, why did the Gentiles? So he claims this and attributes this to David. But he mentions these kings, these rebellious kings. How did it go for all of the people that were set against the Lord when he lived on this earth? So when Jesus walked on this planet, how did it go for all those that were set against him and tried to stop him doing from what he was going to do? Did they win? No, they failed. They lost. And so the people of the early church realized this was foretold. This, this goes back to David. He talked about this because we know the Word of God. We know the Psalms. We sing these things. We, we, we memorize these things. This is exactly what he spoke about. How will God respond to rebellious kings, nations, and people? Ne- look next. God judges and an acts his plan. Number two, God judges and an acts his plan. Look at verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. In Psalm 1-1, the blessed man does not sit in the seat of the scoffers, but in Psalm 2, the Lord does. Not that he's a scoffer of the foolish type of the world, but he's scoffing them. He's laughing at He's deriding them. He's holding them in derision. They forget or refuse to believe that there is a God who knows all things. They forget or refuse to believe that they are created. They refuse to believe that they can, they refuse to believe that God will stop them from overthrowing his plan. Don't they know, God says, who I am? (laughs) I am God. Don't they know what I can do? You ever seen your child when you're trying to teach them how to play tic-tac-toe and they give you the victory? It's like they force you to to win. And you kind of laugh when you see their mistake. Because you know, like, what are you doing? The Lord sits on the throne and laughs. At those thinking they can overthrow who he is and what he can do. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> what? I hear everything you say, I know everything you think. What are you, are you, are you going to outmaneuver me? Are you going to surprise me? Are you serious? Verse five so he speaks to them in wrath. Well, that's not good. He will speak to them as wrath and terrify them in his fury. Verse 6, then he prophesies what his plan will be. Just in case you want to try to subvert it, just in case you think you can take me down, here you go, I'll lay it out for you. I will set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Go, go for it. Do all you can to try to stop me. It's not going to happen. Now again, it needs to be noted, David wrote this, according to Acts 4. But also, it needs to be noted, the temple was not on Mount Zion right now, and will not be there until the time of Solomon when he builds the temple on Mount Zion. To David, this is a future event. This will come. To God, this is a past event. I have set my king on Mount Zion. What he decrees it's, it's it's good as if it's happened. So when he says, I have, and you're like going, well, I don't know if that's happened yet. You just because he's banking on it, it's going to happen. It's, I decreed it before there was time. I'm outside of time, so it's, it's already done. It's already done. What I say will happen will happen. So when you read that the Lord loves you, it's like it's, it is happening, and it will happen, and it will not cease to happen. Because he speaks, when he speaks, it's as good as gold. It's irrevocable. No devise of man, no scheme, no plan, no power will ever be able to subvert the plan of God. And you may wonder if this is future for David, since there's no temple on Mount Zion, and if this is speaking in the past tense, how can David write this? Back in 2 Samuel 7, this is one of the key texts that you need to know about. This is the, the Davidic covenant where David finds out it'll be through his line the Messiah will come. Back in 2 Samuel 7, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 15. We don't have time to get into this, but you can write that one down if that helps you. God promises David, I will establish your kingdom forever and that he, God, I will be a father to one of your descendants. I'm going to establish your kingdom forever, forever, and I will be a father to one of your descendants. By faith, David believed this, and he trusted that what God said he would do, he would do. Again, God's plan is irrevocable. The schemes of man will fail. God will prevail. So if you want evidence of his victorious plan, then we should be looking for the coming king. Then who is this king? If God promised David beforehand that he's going to have this throne, and he's God will be a father to one of his descendants And his throne will be forever. And he realizes, like, this is as good as gold. God told me it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So who is this coming king? We see next. In number three, the son rules and fulfills his plan. The son rules and fulfills his plan. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. You are my son. Today have I begotten you. Who is this king? He is the one begotten by God. The word begotten, let me help you, it can mean to begat or it can mean to bring forth. Keep these two ideas, to begat or to bring forth. That may help you understand as we move on in our text. We know that Christ is called Lord before he's even born. You can read that in Luke 1, He is, always has been, and always will be fully and completely God and fully and completely equal with the Father. That's never in doubt in the text. There's doubt in Scripture is that He, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are completely equal, are completely eternal, and are completely one. If you want to figure that out, you want to draw a diagram, it's going to hurt your head by the time it goes on. He's beyond our comprehension. So if this, you're like, how does this all work? Welcome to the club, right? It's like we're, we're, we have these peanut-sized brains trying to figure out the one that created the world. So some things are hard to understand about God. This is one of those. So we know Jesus was called God before he was even born. We know he existed before time even again, He spoke the world into existence. But this idea of bring forth is going to help us. So when you think of the word begat or bear, and you're thinking of the timeline of Jesus, what do you think of? If you're like me, you probably thought of his birth. The incarnation when God was wrapped in flesh. you like, man, when he came, he was begun. A guy named Paul, you ever heard of him, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he, he, he goes a different direction. I would, I would argue we should stick with his idea under the inspiration of Scripture. So he's going to write about this, and he's going to take us, it's it not speaking of his birth. So turn back to our Scripture reading in Acts 13. So in Acts 13, which my wife read today, we're in Scripture reading, Paul is speaking about this text. He's on his first missionary journey. He talks about Christ's death. He talks about Christ's resurrection. He says in Acts 13, 29, And when they carried out all that was written of him, speaking of Jesus, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Like, this was not done, as Paul says later, this was not done in the corner. There are witnesses everywhere that you could talk to about this. Verse 32, and we bring you the good news. That what God promised to the fathers, who would the fathers be? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. We keep going on and on. God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us. Right now, living. Their children, by what? Raising Jesus. And real quick, let's stop. Paul said in verse 32, the good news was fulfilled by God by raising Jesus from the dead. What text do you think Paul will go to to prove that this is the fulfillment? This is what was foretold a thousand years ago. Keep reading verse 33. As it is written in where? Let's get real specific. The second Psalm. Well, now we got an identifier. You are my son. Today have I begotten you. This is speaking of his resurrection in verse 34. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he's spoken this way from Isaiah 55, 3. I'll give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Verse 35, therefore he says in another psalm, what, what psalm did we cover last week? Psalm 16. Psalm 16, 10. You will not let your holy one see corruption. We saw that speaks about the resurrection of the dead, and who was that written by remind me david he firmly believed in the resurrection of the anointed one in psalm 2 people are rising against the anointed and god says you will not stop my plan for i will set up my king on zion and I will bring him up out of the grave. I will beget him. I will bring him forth. He's going to live. My plan will succeed. Psalm 2, 7, in the beginning of the bringing forth of Christ is the prophesying of Christ's resurrection. One author said of this, this begetting and the enthronement the psalm implies had been fulfilled in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. This psalm suggests that his resurrection ascension brings him to the full experience of his messianic destiny in a heavenly enthronement and rule. We don't have time to get into this, but you can add to what we've been discussing, Hebrews 1.5, Hebrews 5.5, as both of those quote Psalm 2.7 as well. The point being, though, that Dave was writing here about one of the most important aspects of the Christian faith, the resurrection of the Messiah. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? If if Christ is not raised, we are all men most miserable. There's no hope. Friend, if you don't believe in the resurrection, what are you doing here? Go home. Eat, drink, don't, don't waste your time on others. Get all you can get, for this is all we have in this life. But he has been raised. So now there's purpose for who we are and what we do. We saw last week again from Psalm 16, David firmly believed in the resurrection. The apostles recognized this, and they start pulling these texts out. But this kingly reign of the Messiah, the kingly reign of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, will accomplish even more than just the resurrection. Look at Psalm 2.8. So flip back over to Psalm 2.8. We'll be in Psalm the rest of the time. I'll throw some other verses up here in a little bit. You don't have to turn there. I'll put them up there for you. But look at Psalm 2.8. Ask of me And I will make you the nations, your heritage, the ends of the earth, your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The nations that were plotting and scheming in verse 1 are his inheritance. They're his inheritance. And the Messiah will at some point rule and reign with a kingly scepter or rod. Before we move on. We need to make a couple more connections. And perhaps you're here and you're still skeptical. You know, I'm not sure. I've read Psalm 2 before. I'm not sure this really is messianic. Were the New Testament guys, were they kind of like, are these really, these real sure connections, are these kind of loose and vague? Let's go back then. So I want you to look at the text here. It speaks with this rod of iron. I want you to look at that word rod because this word rod is used a number of times. So look on the screen here, Psalm 49.10. This is a messianic text speaking about when the Messiah will come. Realize he'll be through the line of Abraham. It gets more specific. He will come from the line of Judah. The scepter, that's our word, Hebrew word, rod in Psalm 2. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Okay, this is prophecy speaking of the king rising from the tribe of Judah. Now next in Numbers 24-7, we see the word rod and scepter is also used there where it reads, a star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter, here's that Hebrew word again, rod, that we have in Psalm 2, shall rise out of Israel. Following this, Balaam predicts that the coming Messiah, guess who he's going to rule over, according to Balaam? The nations. He's going to rule over the nations. The Apostle John picked this up in Revelation 2 in our next text here, two twenty-six through 27 he wrote, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will break them with, and here is Psalm 2, with a rod of iron, as earth and pots are broken in pieces. In Revelation twelve fifteen, read of one who will rule all the, what, nations, with a rod, a scepter of iron. And finally, in our next slide, in Revelation 19, 15, and 16, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, with which you strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod, a scepter of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his side. He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The promised king is going to come from the tribe of Judah. He's a star. He will hold the scepter. He's the king foretold by Balaam. He will rule with a rod or scepter of iron. He will subdue the rebelling nations until they are his footstool psalm 110 god's plan is irrevocable it will not change jesus will return and he will bring the nations under his control and for all those that rebel against him for all those that mount up for war against him he will prevail he will win he will crush them like he crushes the serpent's head or has The scepter he holds will be wielded like an iron rod smashing clay pots. It'll be devastation, but only for those who rebel. Do you see now that all the schemes of man, all the plotting that goes into this will come to naught? It's not going to work. Do you see the way the Lord has chosen to show the nations and kings who he is and how sovereign he is? It's through the death of his Son the resurrection of His Son, the ascension of His Son, and the return of His Son, the rule and reign of His Son, and His plan will not change. This is what will happen. When Jesus rose from the dead, He fulfilled this part of the plan. The devils in hell may have celebrated when He died. Pontius Pilate or Herod may have thought that disaster was averted by their cunning. They may have even patted themselves on the back. The Pharisees and Sadducees may have left Golgotha thinking, we got the best of him. But three days later, up from the grave, he arose. In victory, When he walked out of the grave, when he was brought forth by the Father, he destroyed the plans of Satan. He upended the talks of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he made all their plans fall apart. (laughs) Good try. You're all just pawns. I took every one of your moves and worked them into my plan, which is good all the time. So even though it seems like it was awful to see my son die, he had to die to bring you life. Because of the impending devastation, the psalm ends with a warning. Friend, you you don't have to live in rebellion. You don't have to stay opposed to the king of kings and lord of lords. So let's look at verse 10 through 12, and we'll see a warning to follow God and his plan. So see, rebellion against God and his plan God judges and enacts His plan. The Son rules and fulfills His plan. And then this warning to follow God in His plan. Look at verse number 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. There's a proclamation to all those in authority, to principalities and powers, plotting and scheming, to overthrow the King of kings and Lord of the lords. It will not work. You have been warned. You have been warned about the coming judgment. So what should we do? Look at verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. No scheming, raging, no plots. Recognize who the Lord is. He is the creator of the world. He is the savior world. If you know him as your savior, then you don't have to fear the judgment, but you are to fear him and to serve him in that fear. You give him the proper respect and do. He's not the big man upstairs. He's the creator of the world. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. So the way we speak of him, the way we talk to him, the way we serve him is with a proper understanding of who he is. Also rejoice with trembling. God allows you to approach his throne. Remember, Queen Esther was afraid, afraid to walk before her husband? She wasn't sure if the scepter would be tilted and she's going to be allowed to come forth. Do not fear man, Jesus says. Fear the one that can kill body and soul. So we rejoice that we can approach, but we also come like with trembling, like, oh my word, what am I doing? The shaky knees that you see in Isaiah. You hear the angels resounding, holy, holy, holy. We rejoice with trembling. God allows you to say his name. To sing his name. To pray his name. To worship his name. What did we sing earlier? Your great name. At the sound of your great name. As you rejoice, do so in awe. Next verse 12, you're to kiss the sun. What does this mean? One author said to kiss was a sign of homage and submission. It's appropriate that such a word is used to call for an act of homage before the Lord's anointed king. Submit to him. Submit fully to the Lord. Do not face his wrath. Do not fall under his judgment. Friends, submit your life to the Christ. Lastly, we're encouraged at the end of the verse to find our refuge in him. At the beginning of Psalm 16, which we saw last week, David claimed to take refuge in the Lord. Here David tells us that the blessed man, right? Remember the blessed man in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks on to the council of God, nor stands away from sinner, or sits and sees the scornful. We find also the blessed man takes refuge in the Lord. The blessed man takes refuge, he places himself under the Lord's care, under the Lord's protection, under the Lord's rule. So, when I go into that cave, when I go into him for refuge, I'm under his care, I'm under his protection, I'm under his rule. So, we can say, What can man do unto me? What can you do? I'm in the shadow of the Almighty. So, parents and grandparents, you don't have to be anxious. Let me re- repeat that. You do not have to be anxious if you're under the shadow of the Almighty. You don't have to worry. Oh, what's going to happen when they're driving? What's going to happen when my kids are flying back on the plane? What's, he's in control. We're under His care. We're under His plan. under His protection. You think Satan's going to slip one past? He's going to sneak around? Sneak attack. No. So we put ourselves under his care and protection by just submitting our life to him. Take refuge, Christian, in your good God. Those that know the Lord will submit to God's sovereignty by fearing him, serving him, rejoicing in him, and taking refuge in him. So what does all this mean for us today? First, our friend, have you ever submitted your life to Jesus Christ? He is the King of Kings, He is the Lord of Lords. Have you ever given Him your life, friend? Do not fall in league. Do not continue to stay in league with those that rebel. We all, you and I, have sinned against the Holy God. We've gone against His ways. We've disobeyed Him. Psalms three seventeen. Sorry, Philippians three seventeen says that we, you and I, without Jesus. We walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end, Paul writes, is destruction. It's the same thing we read in Psalm 2. Their end is destruction. If you continue to oppose Christ, if you continue to refuse to make Him Lord of your life, it will not end well. That is not, look at me, that is not good news. That's not. That's not happy news. That's not glad tidings of great joy. But the glad tidings of great joy are that Jesus did come. He did die. He did rise. He did ascend on high. And he still lives today to intercede on behalf of his own friend. Come to him today. He can take those that were enemies of his cross and bring them to himself. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about how, how God can reconcile us. Reconcile is making the worst of enemies the best of friends. He can bring you to himself. He can forgive your sins and my sins. We disobey. We go against His commands. God says, I can forgive it all. Repent, turn, and confess. You've rebelled against Him. I have rebelled against Him. We all have. But Have you turned, repented, and asked God, forgive me? If we confess our sins, Scripture tells us, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you turn away from your rebellion and to the Savior, a loving, loving relationship with your kind king. Will you do that today? If you have questions, how you can do that. See myself, see a Christian friend you came with who would love to walk you through how you can know that. Next, for those of you that claim to have submitted your life to Jesus, those that claim to be Christians, let me ask you here, where are you serving? What's the first appropriate response to recognizing who God is as a sovereign rule? Lord and Creator, what's the first appropriate response according to Psalm two? What does it tell us to do? W- w- the warning comes: serve Him. Serve Him. So is it not a fair question if you're sitting here and you're coming here week after week? In where, where are you, where are you serving? Where? If you've submitted your life to Him, His rule, His reign. It should be easy to find those that aren't serving Him. because like everybody's doing it. It's just a natural response. It's just what we do. But unfortunately, that's not the case, is it? Many come and go. And they're like, it's not worth my time. You know how busy I am. You know what's going on in my life. Is, Is He still the sovereign Lord of all? What does He say is an appropriate response to who He is? Serve Him. Serve Him in fear. Serve Him in fear. Next, well, let me me encourage you first, by faith, submit your life to Jesus and serve Him here in your local church. If you want to understand why you do it here at the local church, see the last 15 messages we did prior to this. Next, uh, are you known for rejoicing over your great God? Are you known, you're personally known for rejoicing over your great God? When people talk to you, they see you, they hear you speaking often about how good your God is. Is this not an appropriate response to whom our Savior is, the one that died for us, who sovereignly worked the plans so that he could grant us life, and he's coming back for us? Guarantees are in. Rejoice. Rejoice with trembling. When people hear this from your lips, by faith, we commit to praising Him often this week, not just in secret, do that too, but in public. Next, is there anything in your life, Christian, is there anything in your life that you have not submitted to Christ? Is there anything in your life you've not submitted to Him? Many of us know that when we accept Jesus as our Savior, News flash, we, we, we don't cease to sin. Anybody else recognize that? We still struggle. We wake up tomorrow and the battle's back at it. And there are times in our life where we may be like that prodigal child and we're holding on and we're clinging to a thing, a person, an activity, a plan that we know the Lord wants to prune for our life, but we refuse to let it go. Christian, give it all give it all what do we used to sing when we were growing up all to jesus i surrender all to him i I freely give is that true of you he has it all does he have your family mom and dad grandma and grandpa does he have your relationships teenager Do you have your desires, your dreams, your aspirations? Perhaps you find yourself nervous, anxious often because you you refuse to take refuge in Him. I've mentioned before, I'm one of the best on planet Earth at giving things over to Jesus. It's because I'm one of the greatest at stealing it back from His hands to try to solve the problem myself. You ever feel like that? I give it to Him, Lord, it's Yours, and five seconds later, I... I think I can handle it. I got it now. I just worked out a plan. It's going to be beautiful. I give it back to him and then I pull it back. You ever feel like that? Lying in bed, awake at night, solving the world's issues. Because we, including myself in this, because we refuse to take refuge in him. I'm in your care. I'm under your protection. I'm under your rule. Even if it's not what I want, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And I'm content here. That's refuge. Now, that may be something you have to pray 78,000 times before you fall asleep. And you may have to do it again tomorrow and the next day, but try. By God's grace, by faith, try to place yourself under His care, His protection, His rule. By faith, may you see your Savior for those that are holding on to things. May you see your Savior as more desirable than anything you are holding on to. Lastly, will you join me in rejoicing over our Savior who was brought forth from the dead to give us life. Will you join me in praising our, our Lord for being able to guarantee His plan how awesome is it to know that there's nothing the world can do? I don't know if you knew this, our president does not determine our fate. Did you realize that? By the way, you look at people's social media accounts, you think, I don't think many Christians realize that. It's as if the president is gonna subvert all of God's plans, is that possible? What about the next guy? Well, he's going to enact all of God's plans. Oh, sweet mercy. you got to be kidding me. Our hope is not in our government. Our hope is not in our country. Our hope is not in our fearless leader. Our hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price for all my sins, right? That's where our hope is in. Praise God. It's not in our government. The guinea-fix potholes. They're not going to fix your life. God is in control. Christian praise him for that. Sometimes we fear because we're like, Man, I feel like he may, he may have too much control. No, he has all control, and that's th- the right thing. We don't want somebody else to have control. We'll foul it up. It's not just his sovereign control. But what he says he will do He will do. When he says he will do it, it's as if it's a past event already happened. So when we hear like nothing will separate us from the love of God, it's a guarantee as if it's already been done. No power, no principality, no scheme, no height, no depth, no anything will separate us from him or his love, or his care, or his protection, for he promises, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, and we say, praise the Lord. That promise is for me. Oh man, now we can rejoice. Now we can serve. We've given him all we have because he's given us his only son. It's an appropriate response. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we praise you that our end is guaranteed and the victory is already won. As the old song says, Lord, we read the back of the book and we win. Praise God. So Lord, we want to give you ample praise, accurate praise. We thank you for our Savior, who though rulers and nations and people oppose your anointed lord you have guaranteed to set your king on zion on your holy hill but we praise you that you brought him forth from the dead that today when you begot him when you brought him forth from the from that tomb you resurrected him to life you gave us life as well jesus we thank you for being sacrificial thank you for giving yourself for us So we pray for those that are here that do not know you as their Savior, those that are, according to Psalm 2, still opposed to your rule and your ways. Lord, may today be the day of salvation. Whether they've been in church for a year, a day, or 15, Lord, I pray that you would shake them to the reality. Lord, if they do not know you, if they are not yours, help them to understand that you are God. You are also good today you can transform their life by making them your own. Lord, today may that be the day of salvation for them. But for those that are here that claim to know you as their Savior, would you help us to serve you? But for the Christian that comes and goes and comes and goes, it's not a part. I, I pray they would not feel guilt about what they're not doing at church. Lord, may they be overwhelmed by the love they have for you and just the natural response of that be, man, I want to serve him. I love him. I want to serve him. Lord, help them to do that. Would you help our lips, our mouths, our hands to be lifted high in praise to you throughout this week? That our neighbors, our friends, our family would constantly hear us singing about you, talking about you, and giving you the praise you are due. But for the Christian here that's hiding and holding on to the sins of this world, to the things of this world, to the stuff of life, may they submit it all to you. May they realize you're more desirable than anything that they can hold on to for those that are nervous and anxious. May they find refuge in you. Jesus, we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.